Thursday, March 31st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Thursday. Thank you. Good happy, to be here. Happy end of the quarter. It's, it's, it's exciting, isn't happier it? Happier quarter as we look at it at the end than it seemed to be in the middle. Right. Four weeks into this quarter, it was like, oh, God, when is this quarter going to end? But now it's like, oh, it's all right. Yeah, up a little bit. They're doing all right. Market did a little bit of good during, uh, the, during the quarter. We've got some. Uh, We've got the burger wars heating up. We're going to get to the burger wars and um, share a few thoughts about April. But let's start with a company we really don't focus on all that much, but reporting earnings this morning. Movado Group. Fourth quarter profits fell 22%. And the forecast for 2016, let me put it this way. When they were forecasting this year, they talked about, they used the word challenging. It's a challenging mm-hmm. environment. Anytime, I don't care what the business is, when the forecast includes the phrase "challenging environment," the reaction on Wall Street is not going to be positive, and it wasn't. The stock down about eight percent this morning. This is a a pretty well regarded brand, but this has been a rough couple of years for the luxury watchmaker. Yeah, uh, for luxury watchmakers in general, right? And Movado's actually done quite a bit better uh, over the last few years than some of its larger, better-known competitors of Swatch and Fossil. Uh, but I, I, do you wear a watch? No, I don't. Have you ever? Not, not for a very, very long time. I'm no, gonna, I, I'm I gonna, never have. I'm gonna like maybe I don't know, maybe in high school or something, but I don't know. Yeah. And I think there's no need to. Right. So my anything that I say now will be uh, biased by the fact that I don't have a watch. I don't want to wear a watch. I don't know why people would choose to wear watches now that they typically have phones with them that tell them the time all the time anyway. I, it's not for the time. It's it's for the accessory. Well, and it was an accessory that at least had the uh, appearance of doing something for yes. you once upon a time. And, a- and in actuality, it told you the time, as I suppose they still do. Yeah. But but you just don't, nobody needs that part of it and uh, anymore. And it's an accessory. And if people find that it's an accessory worth spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on, they are becoming a smaller and smaller part of the population that thinks that way. But you're talking, you're referring to what we think of as traditional luxury watch as opposed to a smartwatch. Well, a smartwatch is an additional, uh, I'm talking about a smartphone, I don't, I don't want any kind of watch on me. I don't care how brilliant it is. <laughs> <laughs> you don't care how expensive it is, how nice it is. No. Yeah. No. I mean, if, if anybody's got like nice, expensive, brilliant watches they want to send me, I'll, you know, resell them. Uh, right. That's what I would do. I they, would not... they will then find that watch on eBay. Right. I, because it, I, to me, it's just sort of an annoying thing to have on you. Uh, but <laughs> I think that there are plenty of people that don't if think that f- way. But but it, the market is not growing, and and the luxury market in particular is not. Growing, uh, possibly because uh, you know some weakness in China is taking out a lot of potential buyers uh, in, within the society that, that particularly likes showing off the the amount of money that they have to uh, dispose at times certain uh, parts. And I think that uh, Movado is as sort of weathered this a little bit better than than Swatch certainly. 
but I don't I don't see great times ahead, and they call them challenging, and I I would agree. Then let's move on to the the burger news of the day, and there's two bits of news: one with McDonald's, one with Chipotle. Uh, McDonald's CEO Steve Easterbrook gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal and said that the company plans to add 1,300 restaurants in China. McDonald's has about 36, 37 restaurants worldwide. Personally, I was surprised that only about just north of 2,000 are in China. And clearly, Easterbrook was surprised when he became CEO to learn that as well, because he wants to make China the second largest market for McDonald's. The U.S. is number one. Japan is number two. Right now, China's third. Chipotle is looking to diversify behind uh, beyond Shop House and Pizzeria Locale, and has filed for the trademark uh, for a trademark for the name Better Burger. We'll get to that in a second. The the McDonald's uh, and and by the way, McDonald's stock since Easterbrook has taken over has done quite nicely, and up just ever so slightly today enough to hit a new all time high. It seems, on the one hand, like this is almost a no-brainer that when you look at the market opportunity in China, that of course McDonald's, with as many restaurants as it has in the U.S., it should have more than it has right now in China. On the other hand, Easterbrook talked openly about how they're actively looking for a partner to help them with this because as many businesses based in the U.S. Across a range of industries, have learned suddenly opening up. Uh, you're, you know, going to China and saying, "Hey, now we're open for business." Not necessarily all that easy, right? And when you make mistakes, uh, as most um, notably Yum Brands has done with the sourcing of its food, it enormously costly. So getting partners, and whether this is uh, franchi- franchisers or uh, partners on the sourcing of the food, I, I don't know from the headlines, um, but I, I think it's an intelligent way to try to minimize your risk um, while expanding expanding in the place where you should be expanding. And everybody loves burgers, and not maybe not everybody, but enough billions of people right. love them, and there are more and more Chinese who are moving up into the middle class and able to uh, afford more protein, and and that's one of the sort of global trends as uh, societies produce more middle-income consumers. They they elevate their uh, eating into proteins sort of immediately, and so McDonald's is well-positioned to take advantage of that. And I think they are probably going to school on the mistakes made by Yum, um, and and trying to avoid the the problems that come with uh, corners being cut in China uh, at times by providers. The sense I got from the interview with Easterbrook is that they're looking for a partner, sort of at the high end level, to help with franchises, but. Part and parcel of that partnership is someone who's going to help with the food sourcing as well. Yeah, well, and uh, I mean, food sourcing not not only yum. Obviously, if we're going to talk about Chipotle, uh, if you get the food sourcing wrong, it is uh, catastrophic for your business, uh, and your you know it takes years to recover from. So, uh, good for McDonald's to not expand. Uh, until it is really confident about how it's going to take care of those problems before they happen. What do you think of Chipotle filing for the trademark? Keeping in mind that filing for the trademark means that 
we are, I don't know, 18 months at the at the shortest amount of time away from them actually opening a burger place. Yeah, given the uh, you know the speed at which Shop House and and the pizza concept have or have not been rolled out. They're uh, really taking their time. They are really taking their time. So I mean, I I think this is a natural. The high end burgers uh, are still a growing trend. Uh, there's lots of competition. Uh, I don't know that Chipotle is looking at a story like Shake Shack and saying, "Well, now we should get in on that." Uh, any more than you know, pursuing the sort of normal additional lines that like pizza, like burgers, maybe um, that that it makes sense for them to try their hand at and they're in the position of being able to go slowly i think they, that's what they have done with shop house now i don't know how successful shop house is when i've seen them they're not overly contaminated with customers <laughs> um as of the latest filing roughly 2000 uh chipotle restaurants 13 shop house and three pizzeria locales. So yes, they're certainly taking their sweet time with rolling those other ones out. I, I think, so, and I think that's the market isn't reacting much to this. There's no announcement, you know, that uh, they are going to do this. And if you just take the numbers of what they've done with everything other than Chipotle, it's, you know, it, it rounds to zero so far. I'm sort of torn on this because on the one hand, I look at this and I think. You know what? Why don't you just get back to the topic A, which is getting the food safety issues completely locked down at Chipotle. On the other hand, we've seen well. You mentioned Yum Brands before. Yum before the issues they ran into in China. Yum Brands had a pretty nice run, in part because it's diversified with KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. And they would put up different quarterly results where two of those three would do well, and one that was struggling to one degree or another would just sort of be mitigated by the success of the other two. Yeah, it's unlikely that Chipotle is going to get to the size on any of these other concepts that provides similar diversification based on how slowly they have been rolled out so far. But it's always possible that we'll see you know, a hundred new pizza locations in two years from now or eight years from now. I, I, I don't know. They, they don't, they don't talk them up very much. They're not talking this one up, but it's a, it's also a way for Chipotle to appear in the headlines without a disastrous story <laughs> underneath the headline. Right. I mean, we're talking about Chipotle yes. and we're not talking about it because there's some new foodborne virus. That Be, we're yeah, because they about. had to shut down another restaurant, which all of almost all of them seem to be in Massachusetts. I know there are other streets <laughs> as well, but it just seems like the ones making headlines are the ones in Massachusetts. Now, granted, we've arrived at talking about that topic anyway, even right. though the, this headline is not that topic. But that's that's the place that Chipotle is right now. April is Financial Literacy Month. You've got just a few hours left to go to podcast.fool.com, enter your email address to win an investing library. We're going to be picking the winners tomorrow, 10 winners, and announcing those results next week. Is it is April worldwide the Financial Literacy Month, or is it something we're promoting? Uh, it's not. It's not something we came up with. It's something other groups it's a, it's came like up with. It's like Pretzel Day, natural. Yeah. You know, yeah. Somebody else has made Somebody this. else came up with this. It used to be like tax month. 
April. It's, now it's it, financial literacy. It's, month. it's still that. Maybe maybe those go hand in hand. Is it other months? Probably, yeah. There's there's there's, there's a lot there of other months. claims on on the month of April. Yeah, but the one anything as exciting as financial literacy. Hey, the one no, anything as exciting as winning your own investing library. I, I submit no, no way. Uh, also coming in April, and I think I mentioned this once before earlier in the year. The new Motley Fool app. We are in the closing stages of. The brand new Motley Fool app showing up in the App Store on the iTunes. Um, so, whether you are a member of our services, our, our our paid services or not, I have kicked the tires on this app. It is light years better than our old app, and you're really going to like this. So, barring something unforeseen, any last minute snafu, We'll be uh, we'll be promoting this in a couple of weeks, and it's free. So um, I, while I've been rambling on about our new Motley Fool app, I assume you've been looking up other April months. Yes, yes, it, it, it's many things. It's, it's many, many things to many people. Give, give me a couple that are that you think rival time, financial literacy month. Well, it's Arab American month. Okay, Autism Awareness Month. Okay. Uh, Earth Month. That's uh, Earth Month. Earth Month. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do the other planets get their it, own? By, by the way, it is Financial Literacy Month. You're correct, yes. at least according to Wikipedia. Uh, National 911 Education Month. Um, how? I mean, how long is that class? How long does it take someone to learn? <laughs> it doesn't about take a full month. <laughs> it really, it really shouldn't take a full month. There should be a day. Uh, Can we scale that back to 911 Education Day? Sexually Transmitted Disease Awareness Month. Okay. And um, and so many other things. And so many other things. You know what? I, I'm I'm, I'm going to go with Jazz Appreciation Month. That that sounds like the most fun to me of of these things. Yes. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, financial. Look, I mean, other major important topics, but you get a little jazz in this month while you're becoming aware of the Earth and sexually transmitted diseases. Do you have a recommendation for Jazz Appreciation Month? Uh boy, you don't want to get your jazz uh, news <laughs> or recommendations from me. I'm I'm somebody who will acknowledge my uh, need to uh, appreciate jazz for more, uh, at least a month. I'll, I'll just say this uh, on the short list: Miles Davis, "Kind of Blue," in terms of like all-time great classic jazz albums. Miles Davis, "Kind of Blue." You're sort of a Christmas connoisseur. Music. Any any good. You know Miles Davis Christmas tunes uh, that you're aware of? Nah, not that I'm aware of. Well, you've got a month to become aware. I've, I do have a month. Um, also, tomorrow, April first, that's our day here at the Motley Fool. That's our holiday. And if you're a longtime listener or a longtime um, member of the Motley Fool, then you may be aware that every year, April first, we like to have a little bit of fun. I'm not going to uh, divulge what the fun is this year, but. You and I have been around here a long time. When you think back on April Fool's Day past, what what is one or two bits of fun that we've had that leaps to mind? Uh, anything involving Larry McCloskey. Yes. Yes. Love Larry McCloskey. Larry McCloskey has made multiple appearances. Larry McCloskey, who um, is a fictional person, who uh, from time to time appears in our April Fool's Day's prank. Uh, and most recently, last year, when our April Fool's Day prank... And, and let me back up. We try and do two... Because our one of our models here at The Motley Fool is educate, amuse, and enrich. And 
the education part of that is really key. So we don't want to just do a prank just for a prank sake. We want there to be some financial education along with that. So last year's joke was our announcing that we were going to help children learn about credit card debt by issuing a brand new Motley Fool, what we called the Kitty Card. And it was a credit card for children. And one of the benefits was, however old your child is, that's the interest rate that they pay. Because let's face it, adults are paying double-digit interest rates. But if you've got a six-year-old kid, guess what? They're only paying 6% interest. That's a great deal that any adult would love to have. And on Market Foolery last year, I interviewed Larry McCloskey. Who is one of our colleagues, and I did it over the phone because I knew if he was in the studio with me, I was not going to hold it together. And this led to one of uh, only two one star reviews that this podcast has received <laughs> on iTunes. And I, I looked it up today, and we did this. And again, it's a joke. It was just a joke that because we weren't really um, issuing a, a credit card for children. And it gave us the opportunity to come back on April 2nd and say, actually, this is a terrible idea. Here's what you should be teaching your kids about credit. And some person whose name I don't know wrote a one-star review on iTunes and wrote, and this is April 1st of last year, wrote, the podcast today just announced a partnership with a credit card designed for children. The email spam and pumping their own book was one thing. Pimping a credit card designed for kids is embarrassing. So not the most vitriolic response we've had to our pranks over the years. No, no, we've gotten we've gotten some delightfully profane email directed at us. Yes, yeah, I I, I guess probably the most was when we had a uh, prank that that uh, rather than whatever it was, eighty five percent of mutual funds underperforming the market, actually eighty five percent outperformed the market, and this had been caused by. Inadvertently reading the Excel spreadsheet uh, upside down. Right. I think. You know, right. A t- totally implausible story and excuse, but it got some attention from uh, you were you were doing PR back in the day, yes. and so you fielded some of that, right? Yes, we got uh, we got some phone call. I got some phone calls about that, and there was uh, the Raleigh News and Observer. So, and it, this was actually the first prank we did. This was nineteen ninety eight. And we we um, we came up with the prank, and we uh, on the main page of the fool.com website had the chart upside down and then right side up. And I remember when we were putting it together, people were saying, "No one is going to be fooled by this. Once they see the chart upside down, they're going to say, "Well, come on, this has to be a joke. This is this is insane." And the Raleigh News and Observer. What and what we did was we printed uh, at midnight. Uh, so, so this was a joke that was up for 24 hours. So at midnight on April 1st, 1998, the letter goes up on Fool.com, complete with the chart, all that sort of thing, and we just kept it up there for 24 hours. And the Raleigh News and Observer, some person on staff there working late saw that, and ran it on the front page of the business section. There was a headline: "Motley Fool Apologizes." Um, you know, says most mutual funds beat the market, and and just ran the letter verbatim. So that was that shows up. So if you live in Raleigh and you subscribe to the newspaper, that shows up on your doorstep. 
on April 1st. Then later on April 1st, around, I don't know, noon or so, I get a phone call from the irate business editor at the Raleigh News and Observer, who is swearing a blue streak at me, saying, how could you do that? And I just... I said I'm I'm sorry I would you know cuz cuz one of the things I had said was uh to to people who were working on this joke look if someone calls if a if a member from the media calls me on April 1st I'm not going to lie to them I'm not I'm just not going to do that I know we want to keep this prank going for a full 24 hours but I will not, that's just there's no upside in that mm. so so and I did get a couple of calls from reporters and I said well actually this is what we're doing and this you know and so then on April 2nd, the Raleigh News and Observer, again, front page of the business section, um, they admitted their mistake and said that, you know, the joke's on us. I think that was the highlight of, of the Molly Fool, but although there have been some others over the years. You've been more uh, aligned with the work behind those than, than I have for the most part. Uh, we did one the following year, 1999, to make fun of the dot com craze and how, like, some of these. Businesses were going public and and didn't really have a business plan. Oh, Emerang, Emerang. So we announced we were Isn't taking that website still up. Emerang.com may still be up. It, um, go ahead and check that. Check but this that. was this was a joke in 1999 where we said we're taking a company public. It's Emerang. It's uh, what start and that was the birth of Larry McCloskey. Larry McCloskey is uh, going to be. Uh, he was a guy in the had a, his own auto body shop. He was an auto repair guy who then launched an internet business promising not the pie, not the filling, just the meringue. So, meringue delivery anywhere in the United States in seven days or less. And this was, an, you know, of course, an absurd business. And we got email from people saying, I'm, I want in on this. I want, uh, you know, how do I get in on this IPO and that sort of thing. Um, and once again, it wasn't it, it, it was uh, obviously there were other online meringue competitors. Right, that, that had to be addressed in the sort of the IPO yeah, information in the risk factor. I meringue or or yeah. just meringue, you know, whatever it was. There were n- numerous other meringue. Uh, Look, you don't operations. just you don't just pop up your own meringue <laughs> delivery business. That's a tough space to compete in. Um, and once again, the media. The traditional media having a rough time, and this was weeks the later. Ma- mainstream media. The mainstream media. Yeah. This was, um, and I looked this up this morning, April eighth. So this is on April first, nineteen ninety nine. On April eighteenth, nineteen ninety nine, on uh, that was a Sunday. The Seattle Times, in their living section, published an article on the best gourmet websites on the internet. The ten best websites for gourmet, you know, food. And on that list was Martha Stewart's website. And also on that list was Emerang. So, God bless the people at the Seattle Times for just rolling with Emerang and doing no research and no background checking whatsoever. You can, you can still find the Emerang the material on our website. Is it Emerang.com? Uh, that doesn't appear to be around. All right. Uh, you know, if you just go to Google and type in Motley Fool Emerang, that should do the trick. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for being here. So there'll be something tomorrow, you're saying? There'll be something tomorrow. I know what it is. I'm not going to say. Why? Yeah. Go to go to fool.com. You'll see for yourself. And uh, and you know what? It's April 1st. That's our holiday. Everybody have a great April 1st. Exactly. 
Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.